A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 5, beginning at the 13th verse. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one after lighting a lamp puts it on the bushel, under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. You please sit down. Last Sunday, Stuart talked about the Beatitudes, the first part of the, the Sermon on the Mount, and was applying them to ourselves. And today we're looking at salt and light and trying to apply those to ourselves as well. And next week, there'll be the third of the series of uh, from that lovely um, Sermon on the Mount. My uh, association with salt uh, on mass was as a, as a little kid um, having these, these salt, having to put out these great big salt blocks on a, on a paddock for the, the cattle to eat and uh, great delight with them, the cows coming forward and their great big tongues going out and going in, in the great pink sort of blocks of salt. They used to stay in the paddock for months and months until it rained. And when it, as it rained last night, when it poured down, uh, the salt, I don't know, I presume it evaporated or, or went into the, into the ground and no longer would the cattle come and, and lick those salt blocks. There was no salt in it. It had lost its, its saltiness. And as kids, we had to sort of get rid of it. You didn't want it lying in, in the paddock, so we had to move it away and play games and throw it at each other and all those sorts of things that, that people get up to. But we used salt for all sorts of things. Uh, in my youth, it was one of the very few preservatives that we had. And if we um, butchered a steer or something, you, you'd have to give two-thirds of it or three-quarters of it away. Uh, and... Um, uh, and a lot of the part that you had kept would go into these great big vats of, of brine, salty water, and 
It seemed to take forever for the salt to permeate that meat and eventually we had what today we call corned beef and that lasted for quite a, a, a long time. We still use it for taste and, and for flavour, salt. I uh, miss it terribly with fish and chips. <laughs> you have to have salt on those, but apart from that, I'm, I'm doing much better because the salt is not that good for us, we're told uh, these days. We also use salt as, a, as an antiseptic. Uh, little kids on bikes, on gravel roads, showing off and skidding and things, eventually we'd, someone would end up with gravel rash on their knees or elbows or hands or somewhere. And we learnt that if we went down to the, the, the beach, which was never far away from us, uh, and you washed that, that uh, gravel rash in, in the sea, it stung for a few seconds, uh, but that, and then you had to scrub it hard if it was a bad one to get all the, the gravelly bits out of it. But it healed so much quicker than if you didn't have those few seconds of, of pain. Even back further in history, when the might of the Roman Empire, some of the soldiers were paid in salt as their, their salary because salt was very rare and very uh, valuable. I know my parents used to talk about someone perhaps coming and, and working for us for a while and being paid for whatever jobs they did and they'd comment, oh, he was worth his salt or he was not worth his salt, whatever the, the case uh, may have been. Of course, that word salary uh, fits in there beautifully. And one more thing about salt, uh, as kids swimming, if you shouting and yelling and, and swallowed a couple of mouthfuls of salt water, what happened was you became very thirsty. Jesus said that we are, you, you are the salt of the earth in that gospel reading. You are the salt of the earth. I don't think I'm stretching scripture too far. I, I hope I'm not. If I said that our role as Christians is to cause people to become thirsty for Jesus, but if we lose our spiritual way for a time, other things crop up in our lives and we get sidetracked. If we lose our, our saltiness, in other words, then we can't lead others to Christ. Jesus' last words just before he ascended uh, back to heaven were that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be witnesses for me and Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I, I think Rabina probably fits in somewhere in the uttermost parts of the, of the earth. We're meant to be witnesses uh, to Jesus. But then the light. This gospel reading goes on again and says, You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Again, my first recollections of light and darkness was during the, the Second World War. We had all those blackout blinds and we used to have to go around in the evening before we switched the light on to make sure there was no little cracks or anything where the light could have, have shone through. I went to, a, all my primary education was in a, a church, a choir school, an RSCM choir school, and um, lots of singing and 
and lots of uh, uh, fun as, as well. But every Thursday night we had to go into the church, which was about a mile away, and we had basses and tenors as well as the little boys' sopranos. But coming home, it was dark. We always had a teacher with us, but we'd walk along the middle of this gravel road, and sometimes there'd be stars, sometimes there'd be a, a moon, Sometimes the clouds will be over, but we didn't seem to get lost. There was always some sort of light about um, in, in that darkness, and we could find vague shadows and knew where we were on the road and got back to school uh, quite safely. The midnight service. I haven't been to one here, I don't think, for the last three years I've, I've escaped, but uh, we used to light a big fire in the back of the or outside the church, and from that light, a, a taper which lit the, the big paschal candle. And we'd walk into the dark church and, and stop three times, and someone would say, the light of Christ, and the response, thanks be to God. And then by the time we got up to the front, it was put on the big stand, the LAs, we, we didn't call them that then, but the LAs would have tapers and they would go down the aisle get, lighting the candle of the person right sitting near the aisle and they would pass it along that, that seat. And you could see and feel the, the darkness being pushed back as everyone lit their candles. And then uh, by that time it was midnight and the first few minutes of a new Easter day we would start the, the Easter uh, midnight mass. Halfway through we had to put the lights on because the candles have an awful habit of, of dribbling onto the, the carpet and, and we used to get into all sorts of trouble from some of the people in the congregation if that happened. But the glow of a hundred candle power, it's just unearthly glow. It's warm, it's flickering, it's just, just magnificent. And the light of Christ has come into the world and there is no more total darkness uh, for, for us. The city set on a hill, I used to always assume that it was um, only in, in night time that you could see a, a city on a hill, perhaps the street lights would come on or lights in the, the houses. But uh, traveling around Israel a few years ago in, in a bus uh, through the, the wilderness area, just all browns and greys and colors, uh, you'd see in the distance a lot of little white squares and these were the, the houses of, of a, a town or a village or a city. Uh, and so in daylight as well as in dark, uh, this illustration in the Bible that a city set on a hill is not easily hidden applies, uh, and I think it applies to us uh, as well. We have to reflect the light of Jesus to others. That's our task, our role as, as Christians, to reflect the light of Jesus to others. Walking back from choir practice to the school, when the moon was shining, a full moon, it was lovely. There was a lot of bright light and we could run around and, and uh, uh, do all sorts of things on the way back to, uh, which we couldn't do when it was quite dark. But that moon has no light of its own. The moon only has a reflected light picks up the light of the sun, hits the moon, and then it comes down to us. And it looks so bright, the full moon look, looks so bright, but 
It's just a reflected light of the sun. I'm playing with words here. Isn't that our role to reflect the light that we receive from the sun? Not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N, with a capital S. We are meant, I believe, to reflect the light of Jesus to those around us. And people need to see his light. And so they can come into a personal relationship with him. And that's the ultimate goal uh, of all of us. But sometimes we read the Bible and sort of translate some of the words that aren't there, give them different meaning. Where Jesus said, you know, you are the light of the world, you are the, uh, the salt of the earth. Do we take that little word are and say, oh, we, we could be the, the light of the world. Maybe we're the, the, the salt. We might uh, be something. Others, not me, could, should be the light of the world and witness to Jesus. It's like lighting a, a candle or a lamp and putting a bushel measure uh, over the top of it so that that light can't be seen. And then this gospel continues with words that were used in the old 1662 prayer book. Um, it used to mark a, a, a difference between the, the um, old synagogue type saying and listening service and the, the temple um, sacrificial service. And, and it still does when we use the 1662 um, in full. Um, where is it in the, it's verse, um, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So let your light so shine, that light that we receive from Jesus, a reflection from the, as it were, from, from that moon, and then everyone will say, oh, that was very good, I enjoyed that, or something or other. That's not what it's all about at all. Uh, Christian worship is so that everyone is pointing at Jesus, not at us, pointing at God. So that everyone will glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the aim of what we do as Christians, not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify him. So let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen.